0: Kids, I don't know if you know this, and, and I'll, I'll remind everyone in the room. For about the last month, we've been studying one of the letters of the New Testament, the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers, the Christians who were in the city of Rome. Paul had never been to Rome, but Rome was the biggest city that he knew about. It was, you know, in, in terms of it, the whole world that Paul knew, it was the biggest, most powerful city. And Paul had spent most of his life east of that city, and he wanted to get to Rome so that he could share the news about Jesus to the west of Rome, all the way to the ends of the earth, which in Paul's mind was like Spain. Okay, so he wanted to, to spread it all the way out. And in in Rome, Paul knew that the people who believed in Jesus in Rome came from two different kind of groups of people. There were some of them who uh, had grown up uh, Jewish. They they, They were Jewish, and they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Jewish king that they'd been waiting for, and that the way for them to be faithful Jewish people was to follow Jesus. But there were other people who had come to believe in Jesus in Rome who didn't grow up Jewish. And they, so we call them Gentiles. Everyone who's not Jewish in Bible language, we call Gentiles. And they, uh, they also believed that Jesus was the king, the king of all. And, um, and so these two groups were trying to figure out how to follow and worship Jesus together. And that was kind of complicated because they had different traditions that they thought were really important for how they could worship and follow Jesus together. So Paul is writing this letter to sort of introduce himself and what he believes and what he teaches about Jesus to the believers in Rome. And and he's also aware of this situation, so he's going to give them some advice about how to get along with each other, basically, how to work together to believe in Jesus together. And the part of the letter that that we're going to look at today is sort of the very middle of the letter. And it's where Paul is trying to work out what this news about Jesus means for the Jewish people who for a, a few thousand years have believed they were God's chosen people. They were God's special people, and God was gonna gonna, you know, bring his kingdom back to earth, and they would be the sort of the, the main citizens of that kingdom, and all the rest of the world would, would um, have to serve this special kingdom that was them. That's what they were waiting for. And so Paul is trying to explain how the news about Jesus both Fulfills that promise and kind of changes it. And that's what this section is. So I'm going to read a few little chunks that are from Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. All right? Um, so if you're looking for key verses, the key verses will be Romans 9, 18 to 24, Romans 10, 1 through 4, Romans 10, 9 through 12, and 11, 33 to 36. There's some people taking really good notes up here. So I want to make sure they hear that again. 9, 18 to 24, 10, 1 through 4, 10, 9 through 12, and 11, 33 to 36. Here are a few of those sections. Paul writes, so then God has mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy and he hardens those whom he chooses to harden. And you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has ever resisted his will? But who indeed are you, a mere human being, to talk back to God? Does what is molded say to the molder, "Have you? why have you made me like this? Has the potter No right to make from the same lump of clay one vessel for special use and another for ordinary use? But what if God, willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience the objects of wrath prepared for destruction? And what if he is willing to make known the wealth of his glory on the objects of mercy that he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles?" Then a little later, in chapter 10, he says, "'Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God on behalf of my fellow Israelites is for their salvation.'" For I can testify that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not in line with the truth. For ignoring the righteousness that comes from God and seeking instead to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, with the result that there is righteousness for everyone who believes. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment of silence, we're going to be thinking about what we just heard. And we ask that you would speak to our minds and hearts in the silence, each one of us, what we need to hear about your word. Father, because uh, I'm aware that this section of this letter has been challenging and confusing to your people for the last 2,000 years, Uh, I just lay myself before you as the person trying to teach about it right here in this place and ask for your help that you would make it come clear for all of us. Um, Open our eyes so that we can see what you're trying to show us open our ears so that we can hear what you're saying to us open our hearts so we can believe what you're doing here in jesus name amen amen okay uh, so what i read it may have felt a little bit complicated did kids did did like did what i read make any sense to you did it make some, some sense okay i'm getting some eh, yeah okay, so that's cool um here's so let me tell you what what Paul was trying to work on with them the, the way that he was telling about the news about Jesus felt really unfair to the people that God had been working with for the last few thousand years. They had been through a really challenging history and the way Paul explains the news feels really unfair to them. And so I'm curious if any of you can think of a quick example of a time where something felt unfair. There's three kids sitting here who recently had their dad say, you have to give away most of your Halloween candy. (laughs) Did that feel unfair? Okay, yeah, Shay. Oh, yeah, so it didn't, it felt like these are similar, you, you both had similar opportunities, but one, one of you got to do it and the other didn't, basically. Yeah, that feels unfair. Yeah. Any other have a story about a time something felt unfair? Has it ever happened to any of you where you're in your class at school and there's some privilege that everyone has, and then one kid breaks the rule and the whole class loses the privilege? Have you ever had that? Yeah, that, boy, that feels real unfair, doesn't it? Um, I, I thought of a story, a, a, story, a hypothetical example, um, thinking about, uh, you know, me and my kids. This could happen in our house. We haven't, this hasn't happened, but here's an example. Imagine there's a dad with a few kids, and they're raking the leaves in their yard, and the dad says, anyone who fills up a whole trash bag with leaves gets this special treat, you know, this like super special treat, what name, figure out whatever that you want that to be, anyone who does that. And so a couple of the kids get to work on it. And one of the kids is just doing it just so diligently filling up the trash can, the trash bag, you know, and they shouldn't call it raking leaves people. It should be called bagging leaves because that is the hard part of the job. So, um, anyway, uh, that's an, another gripe I have for another time. Um, so, one is doing that, and the youngest kid, um, let's say it's a four-year-old named Olivia, hypothetically, <laughs> is like trying to work the rake, and but having trouble with it. And after, so one works for an hour, and, and this four-year-old, you know, spends a few seconds realizing sh- she can't navigate the rake, and so pulls dad in, and then basically the one working really hard watches the dad fill up the whole trash bag on behalf of the four-year-old. And then afterwards, both of them get the special treat. Would that feel fair? That would that would kind of feel yucky, wouldn't it? Yeah. So that is, that's a really good example for us to think about. Fairness is what this section is all about. Um, and Uh, For us to understand what is going on here, I want to show you a picture that I've been showing um, the people who stay in this room on Sundays for the last month because Paul was working with this big story about the news about Jesus. Um, And if we don't kind of have that big story in mind, this won't really make sense. So here's this isn't quite perfect, but here's sort of my version of what I think the big story Paul understood was about the whole world, okay? So on one of kiddos, on one of your sheets you've got a bunch of circles. Um, so that's kind of what I'm going to draw up here. So as far as Paul understood and in sort of the Jewish understanding of things, um, the way everything started was uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. All right, the heavens and the earth. And, and, you know, they're together, you know, so it's that's like the stories of the Garden of Eden. Everything that everyone and everything needs is right there, beautifully available. Everyone is in the perfect type of relationship with everyone else. All of the animals are in the perfect type of relationship with each other. Everything that they need is freely, perfectly offered. But early on in the Bible, we hear the story that that kind of changes, right? That, that situation um, shifts because an idea was introduced at the very beginning that, hey, you're kind of in this situation where like God's made you sort of lesser than him. You're dependent on him. And if you take one of these things that he's, he's given, I, I, you know, if you take the one thing that he said, this, isn't, this part isn't for you. If you take that for yourself, instead, he said that you'll die. Um, uh, but you won't die if you take it. You'll become equal with him. You'll you'll be the provider of all the good things. You know. So um, so that's what they did. That's the story of eating the forbidden fruit. And so um, you know, Paul thought of that as a rebellion. There's a rebellion. And what happened? This is just a simple way to talk about this. But what happened is there was a separation where, um, where heaven sort of existed like this. But leaving, sort of departing from this heavenly space. Don't think of it as something up up there with, you know, with angel babies. Think of it as just where everything is freely and joyfully provided. There's this separation. And they, they split apart. And this is sort of the normal reality that people have been sort of gr- struggling with for a lot of human history. And, and what a lot of people over here have wanted to do is find a way to get over to here. You know, the, the term heaven has become a, a term for sort of escaping the hard things here and getting over here and and that's if you think of any sort of religion, any philosophy, any way of finding sort of happiness for or peace, you could think of it as people are sort of trying to get trying to get here. All right. The story that Paul that Paul is working with though is that Several thousand years before Jesus, God started working with one particular family, one particular people group. He started with Abraham, but that people group ended up being called Israel. And he he spoke to them like, you are going to show what it's like to have heaven on earth again. So they had this little group here called Israel. All right you're going to show what it's like and he gave them all sorts of things to show what it's like and and if you have your bibles i didn't read this part but at the beginning of romans 9 paul lists off a bunch of things that they have you have the patriarchs you have the law you have the temple worship you you have adoption as sons you have all of this stuff you know all of these things to show what heaven is like and so they that, you know, for thousands of years, they're like, if we just follow these rules, we'll show what what heaven is like on earth. We'll get to explain it. We'll get to represent it. And and God even said to Abraham, my plan is that you do this in a way that you kind of spread heaven to the rest of the earth. That was their understanding, uh, one way to describe their understanding of it. But Israel, and Paul goes through at the beginning of his letter, Israel has this long, hard history where instead of bringing heaven to earth, earth, you know, in this way of describing it, the earth, the sort of, the part of, apart from God where everyone's doing their own thing, and, and some people like it, you know? Some people like it like that, you know? But, but things are not being used the way they're made to be used here. Um, uh, but, and that keeps sort of crashing in, to Israel you know and it and so the line around it is getting kind of fuzzy and and Israel sort of fading you know dispersing into the earth and so and the you know they had a kingdom for a while but then they got conquered and other kings and ruled over them and and so um so they started dreaming of a day when God would would rescue them and he would break into this new way of doing things. No, he would break into the old way of doing things and restore their kingdom. And then, and it would all happen because they didn't see how they could conquer the different empires, you know, you know uh, Babylon or Assyria or Greece or, or now the Roman empire. They didn't, but they knew God could do it. And so they were waiting for that. And they were waiting. That's the king that they were waiting for. He's going to show up and do this for them. So that's the story that the Israelites are working with. And what Paul says is that that has happened, but not quite in the way that they expected. So um, so instead of just getting straight back to here, there's this, there's this new situation where you have earth, but the story that Paul tells is that heaven has come chasing after earth. It's on its way over. And even better than that, the story that he tells is that heaven on earth happened especially in and through the person of Jesus. And so Jesus, when he's coming, do you, there's a thing that Jesus says when he's walking around. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say that he says this all the time. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near it's come near so he's announcing it's here and paul's got this he you know the way he understands what jesus did jesus's death and resurrection is that slowly beautifully this these circles will overlap again that it'll all be restored and eventually he looks forward to a day when it's when it's back to this beautiful Um, reality where where everyone in loving joyful unity there's the prophet's saying of days where the lion will lie down with the lamb and things like that you know that's that's restored back to this beautiful reality that's the story that paul tells but there's something that's surprising about this and that is that that this new realm here has been made available not just to the kingdom of israel you know they're not they're not the representatives of this new kingdom it's anyone anyone who trusts in the work that jesus has done you see they've been working for hours to fill their trash bag with leaves and then all of a sudden the reward is offered to everyone the same that's the, and so you, could you see how a whole group of people would be saying, this doesn't feel fair. Does that make sense? Guys, does that make sense? Okay. Maybe kind of, sort of, that makes sense. Um, so in fact, well, Paul, here's, here's what Paul says. He says, hey, God's going to fill all of your trash bags with leaves. <laughs> he says it like this. If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, which means you get to be a citizen in this new realm. For with the heart one believes and thus has righteousness. And with the mouth one confesses and thus has salvation. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all who richly blesses all who call on him. See, this is unexpected because Jesus didn't come and make the nation really strong and build a big army and conquer No, he he doesn't bring his kingdom through conquest, but through sacrifice. He literally dies at the hand of his enemies, the world's dominant empire, and then he rises again. And after he rises, he promises that he'll send his, his spiritual presence to his followers to help them keep spreading the kingdom in the same strange sacrificial ways that he spreads it. And that'll bring the two circles back together, restoring creation to its intended state. All right. So Israel and the Jewish people felt like this seems a little unfair. We ought to ask the people here to at least do some of the things that we've been supposed to be doing for thousands of years. We ought to have them do that. We ought to ask them to do that. And in this section in Romans 9, 10, and 11, um, I, I didn't give a. I don't have a list for you guys, but Paul quotes like thirty different verses from the Old Testament to try to prove that actually God's had this plan all along. He uses the story of Isaac and Ishmael, or Jacob and Esau, or even the story about Pharaoh to show that God has always passed His blessing by just giving them His beautiful promises, and that's what He's doing through. Jesus. It's just hard for them to accept that he's doing that for everyone else too, all right? And it, and gosh, so did you know that Jesus, he knew that this would feel really unfair to some people? He did. In fact, Jesus tells some really interesting stories to illustrate it better than the trash bag and leaves story. One time he tells a story, you guys, about, um, about this person who, a farmer who owns a bunch of land and he needs to hire people to help with the farm. And so he hires some people at the beginning of the day, but then he needs more people. So he hires a few more people, but then he needs more people. And all throughout the day, he hires a bunch of people. He even hires some people just an hour before it's time to end the work day. And then he, he gets ready to pay them for the day's work. And they line up and the people in the front of the line are the people who only worked an hour. And the people in the back of the line worked all day. And what the people in the back of the line see is that he pays the people in the front of the line for a whole day of work. And so the people in the back of the line are like, oh, yes, if they got a whole day, we're going to get like a week's worth of pay. They're super excited about it. But then he keeps paying everyone a whole day of work, a whole day of work, a whole day of work. And the people who worked all day, even though that's exactly what they agreed to, feel like they've been robbed. They feel like, well, that wasn't fair. Jesus told that story. He says that's one way to think of the kingdom of God. He also tells a story about a dad with who has two sons. And, and Um, The older son is really like follows all the rules and is a good kid. And the younger son, when he's a young adult, decides, I don't want to be part of this family anymore. In fact, you've got some, give me the money that you owe me and I'm going to do my own thing. And so he does that and he leaves and he cuts himself off from his family and he lives a wild life and he loses everything really fast. And then he realizes that, my life now, it would be better even if I was a servant at my dad's house. So I'm going to go back and just, like, I don't deserve to be a son anymore, but I'm going to go back and just beg to be a servant in his house. And so he goes back and he's got this whole speech to beg to be a servant. Do you guys know this story? It's the story of the prodigal son. And and he, he he's about to beg his, his dad, just let me be a servant in your house. And instead, his dad just can't believe that his son is home and throws this gigantic party. I mean, the biggest, wildest party you can imagine. It's like the best food that they've ever had and everyone's invited. And the dad looks around during the party and realizes somebody's not here. Oh, who's outside sulking in the dark by the broken piano? Big brother. Because he's he's like... I stayed this whole time and you never threw me a party. Like it feels so unfair that you would give this party to this jerk who went and broke all the rules and then comes back begging. That doesn't feel fair. Doesn't that make sense that it wouldn't? And at the end of the story, we don't, the story ends before we know whether he decides to go into the party or not. So that's what Paul's talking about in this section. But I need to stop for a second because, you know, that's how—that's what the people in Rome were struggling with, like for the Jewish people. But a lot of people now read these same parts of Scripture, and they feel like it's saying something else. They feel like it's saying God gets to choose who gets— his blessings and love and who doesn't and he chooses um and nobody can do anything about it you can't question it and and there's that's why i read that part where somebody says why does it why does he still find fault if he's the one who chose and he made me want it and or this guy want it and this guy not want it you know who's to blame and he says like well think of it it kind of feels mean, like." Well you're just you're the clay and God's the potter and who are you to talk back to God and and people read that and they think this this is saying that God's kind of this picky choosy mean person who you know decided these people are going to suffer for eternity and these gonna, people are going to be in a party for eternity and no one can do anything about it and who would want to worship a god like that that's a lot of people read this section and they think that's what it's saying and it makes them Makes them feel like God really isn't fair. That what's and and there are times, other places in the Bible, where Jesus talks about sort of rewards and punishments that la- that last for eternity, but that's not this section. That's not this section. That's not what Paul's talking about here. All right, Paul is saying in this section. That this news about Jesus, the point of his whole letter, the point of all this, is he's trying to say, this is really, really good news for the world. This is really good news. Why? Because access to God's kingdom, you know, the kingdom of heaven, has been opened up to anyone who wants Jesus to be their king and believes that God raised him from the dead friends, there, there's there's one way to look at Christianity that can feel super narrow. Like, oh, so just through Jesus, and then, you know, only the people who believe in Jesus, and that's it. Jesus is the only way. And I get it. That looks small and narrow. But Paul's trying to say, Jesus is the way in, and because he fulfilled the, the requirements that God had for people to be in his kingdom— He's he's made that available to everyone. Paul's not trying to talk about how little it is; he's trying to talk about how big it is. The amazing news that God's mercy is big beyond imagination. All right, and and that so that's a lot of people need to hear that. All right, and 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 what about the Israelites who have, don't yet believe in Jesus during Paul's days, or even? our day well the rest of this little section paul says you know god made it seems to have hardened them like made them not want to believe for now but it's because he loves a good story and that the this whole thing of some people enjoying this he paul believes that the promises from all of scripture are that these people will look at that and say you know what Forget the fairness thing. I want. I want to be in this party. I want in, and he thinks that that's what's going to happen, even to all of the Israelites. God loves a good story, so that's why this section, which with which starts with God. If I'm sorry, which which starts with asking if God is really really unfair, it actually ends with a song of praise. All right, it ends. It ends with saying like. Oh my gosh, if this is true, then God's mercy is way bigger than I ever imagined. It's way, it's like the, I, I had a mentor in college who said that the two most common questions in heaven will be, what are you doing here? And where's so-and-so? Like, like wait, God's mercy let Danny in? what are you doing here in the front row? Like that's, that's the, what Paul is saying as, as he's wrapping his mind around, what does this news about Jesus mean? He's, he's like, oh my gosh, my worst enemies are going to experience the mercy of God. Oh, so he goes into this time of worship. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable are his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, who has first given to God that God needs to repay him for from him and through him and to him are all things to him. Be the glory forever. Amen. Why would he sing such a big song at the end of this section? He would sing it because he realizes that the present that God is giving in Jesus, I mean, it's for everyone. It's been made available to everyone. Everyone. What a beautiful gift he's given. And that that's the weird story that Jesus tells at the Last Supper with his friends. They think that he's about to do this to conquer, bring this kingdom back, and have this thing spread, all right? But instead, he says, no, no, this this bread, which you used to think, which you, you think of as as a reminder of how God rescued people from Egypt, no, this is my body, and it's been given for you. And, and, and so you should take this and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, at the end of supper, he took the cup of wine. And he said, this, this wine, which reminds you of God's promises to his people, this is my blood. And it's been shed for you and for, for many for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, after he died and rose again, he gathered those same group of people and he said, go and bring all of the Gentiles in. Go make disciples of all the nations. That means the Gentiles. Bring them in because this party, it's for them. And you get to be the ones who invite them in. That's the story we celebrate. Let's pray together and then we will come, we'll worship, we'll Get this thing off the stage with like seven people, not two, and then we'll sing and worship together. So, Father, thank you for the great gift that you have given us. Lord, thank you for this gift. Uh, the uh, the it's beyond our belief. It's beyond our imagination. And I pray, Lord, that for for those of us in the room who have cherished this gift in our hearts for for our whole lives or for many years i pray that you would put us in the in the state of mind that we want to share it with with everyone because it's such a good gift so lord thank you that you've invited all of us to this table no matter how much how many leaves we got into the bag we 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 love you we're grateful for your work on our behalf